I've invited uh, two people to come and read our scripture that he'll be speaking on this morning. Um, one in uh, Māori first. Te whakapono. Nā, ko te whakapono, he whakapū mautanga i ngā mea e tū mana kohia atuana. He whakakitenga i ngā mea kā hore nei e kitea. Nā ko nei hoki ngā kaumātua i kōrero tia pai tiai. Nā te whakapono i mātau ai tātau, he mea hanga ngā ao e te kupu a te atua. A ko ngā mea e tirohia atu nei, ki hai i puta ake i roto i ngā mea e kitiana. Hebrews 11, 1-3 Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Well, very good morning, everyone. Kia ora tato. Shall we pray for a moment? Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will descend upon every heart here in order that what I say will be heard and received exactly as you intend, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, when I went to breakfast this morning, my lovely daughter-in-law, Louisa, presented me with a cup of coffee, and I was told that Louisa is really delighted if a visitor drinks a real cup of coffee. Anyway, she shouldn't have done that because it was quite an unbiblical act. You all know, of course, that the Bible says that men should always make the coffee. Where does it say that? Well, it's the title of the 19th book in the New Testament, He Brews. (laughs) Anyway, we're coming to that book this morning, and particularly we're coming to chapter 11. Now, you can't take chapter 11 on isolation. Uh, If you do so, you lose a great deal. So let's just put chapter 11 in context you know perhaps that the book of Hebrews was originally written to Jewish Christians. That's why it's called Hebrews. And these Jewish Christians were in danger of lapsing back into their old religion, Judaism. So the book was written to them. And it's hardly surprising, therefore, that the theme of this letter is that our religion, Christianity, is so much better than any other. We have got a better person at the head of it, not just a servant of God, but the Son of God. We've got a better sanctuary than any building on earth could ever be. We have a better high priest than any human being could ever be. There is a better sacrifice that has been offered for us, the Lamb of God on the cross, which initiated a better way to God and a better covenant. In chapter 11, we come to something else that's better, which I will come to shortly. But in Hebrews, you find everything is better, better, better. In fact, you cannot improve on Christianity, folks, because you cannot improve on Christ. The point of this chapter that you're going to be journeying through over coming weeks is that the only way to enter into and avail ourselves of all these better things, is faith. That is the doorway. 
So my task today is to look at the definition of faith in verses 1 to 3. This is not merely academic. Ephesians 2 says, By grace you have been saved, how? Through faith, not by works. So faith is the first and only thing required of us when we come to God. Uh, Later on in this chapter, in verse 6, the writer draws attention to the fact that without faith it is impossible to please God, which means that it is absolutely necessary. So we need to understand what faith is. Do you have faith? How do you know you have faith? What is faith so you can know that you have it? (laughs) What hangs on whether you have faith or not? I mean, these questions are immensely practical and relevant to your life. Now, I guess there have been many, many explanations or definitions of faith over the years. And I remember the first one I was given way back in Sunday school. It was an acrostic, faith, F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all I trust him. Some of you remember that? One of the worst definitions of faith was from a schoolboy in a religious instruction class. What is faith, he was asked. He replied, it's believing what you know isn't true. (laughs) And to the world, that is what we do as Christians. The world thinks we are crazy. We are kidding ourselves that we've been brainwashed and hoodwinked, right? Listen to the biblical definitions of faith in verse 1. There are two of them. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The Amplified Bible renders it, listen, now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. So let's unpack those definitions one by one. The first definition says, faith is being sure of what we hope for. The word translated being sure is hypostasis in the original language, and it means that which stands under a substructure, a foundation. So you might say that faith is the foundation that hope builds its house on. Faith is a spiritual apprehending or sensing of everything that God promises. Faith doesn't just feel confident that these things are coming. Faith has spiritually laid hold of and perceived and tasted that they are real. In fact, faith holds the ideal to be the most real. The King James Version of the Bible tells us in its translation of this verse, that faith is a substance. (laughs) A substance, interesting. Faith has the substance, the essence, the very nature of what is hoped for in it. It's a kind of substantial down payment of realities yet unfulfilled. And so some translations, like the Amplified I just read, call it the title deed of blessings yet to come. We have the title deed to the things that God has promised us. 
if we have the title deed of something, we own it, right? <laughs> All we need to do is believe those promises until the hope of them is realized. You see, faith carries you from point A to point B. You can hope for something, but faith is the substance that moves you forward until you experience it. Now, in my life, I've been a pastor and an English teacher. I spent a good deal of my life teaching English. And I'm aware that the word hope in English vocabulary is a very vague and uncertain concept. It's in the realm of speculation and doubt. Is it going to be sunny tomorrow? My wife says, I hope so. But she's not sure. I say, I hope not, because the garden needs some rain. But I'm not sure either. Uh, when I was courting my wife, I hoped that she would fall for me. But I wasn't in any way sure. I was very doubtful at first. Uh, when we say, I hope I'll live to a good old age, uh, or I hope I'll enjoy good, fa good health, or I hope I'll never be left lonely, it's all so uncertain. It's really, I wish. It's a kind of blind optimism, isn't it? This word hope in the Bible is not in any way like that. In fact, it is the opposite. It is a very strong word. It is so strong that in chapter 6 of Hebrews, it is said to be an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Faith is being absolutely sure of what you hope for. It is God's way of giving us complete confidence and assurance that what is promised will be experienced. Now you take salvation, for example. We receive this by faith. Uh, chances are that if you've experienced it, no one can talk you out of it. Because your faith is the substance that testifies to you that salvation is real and genuine. The hope of salvation has not yet been fully realized. We have been freed from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin, but not yet from the presence of sin. Our bodies are still subject to decay and death, but faith is what assures us that salvation is a done deal. And one day, the full scope of salvation will be realized. By way of illustrating this first definition, being sure of what we hope for, the writer actually points to something specific in the future, namely our ultimate destination which, like all those things previously discussed, is so much superior and better than any alternative. We look forward, he says, to a better country. Verse 10 of the chapter tells us that Abraham, for example, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. I think that's a reference to the New Jerusalem. Verse 16 says that the patriarchs, we're longing for a better country, 
a heavenly one. Do you realize that the people in the Old Testament were not content with Canaan, even though it was termed the promised land? They were not content with that. They saw something beyond it. A better country, just as we may. Folks, even if you were born right here in Gisborne or wherever, you are still, in another sense, just a stranger passing through. You are a pilgrim. You're a sojourner. That's what Abraham was all his life, and that's what we are. Because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we don't really belong here. And I'm afraid that as soon as you become a Christian, you find out pretty rapidly that you don't belong here. (laughs) Ever notice that? I don't know whether God's future physical kingdom will be on a renewed earth or somewhere else, but that is where we are headed. As for them, so for us, it's faith that has given us our passport to that better country, given us our rights of citizenship, given us authority to actually look up and say to God, Abba, Dad. Faith is the critical factor. So if somebody says to you this week, is there life after death? Don't say, I hope so. Because that's using the word in an English sense. Say, I'm absolutely certain of it. That doesn't mean you're better than everyone else. It just means that God is a good deal better than you think. (laughs) And you are completely relying on his grace and his mercy. I noticed grace and mercy in that song we sang. You know, grace means that he gives you what you don't deserve. And mercy means that he withholds from you what you do deserve. Those are the twin reasons, grace and mercy, why every God-given hope that he has planted in your heart will be realized. You can count on it. So come now to the second definition. What else is faith? The writer says it's being certain of what we do not see. Now, how do we get most of our knowledge, folks? It's through our senses, isn't it? Sight, hearing, touch, taste, smell. Therein lies our problem. Do you remember Thomas? I guess Thomas spoke for many people when he said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe the scientific approach par excellence, modern scepticism summed up 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, very graciously, because he valued and needed that man, Thomas, said, all right then, go ahead, touch and see. But Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen, but have believed. 1 Peter 1 verse 8 says of Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. In the natural realm, faith itself doesn't make sense because Faith itself cannot be seen, understood, or explained when situations beyond human control require its use. But according to our passage, it is possible to be as certain of the things we cannot see as those things that are material and tangible and observable. Faith 
treats the existence of the invisible as though it was actual. You know, Paul told the believers in Corinth, we live by faith, not by sight. Those who live by faith are those who are absolutely certain of things which are not discerned by the senses, things that are spiritual and eternal. I mean, the senses tell us to grasp the things of the moment. The Spirit tells us there is something far beyond that. The Christian believes the Spirit rather than the senses. (laughs) We are called to regulate and conduct our lives in faith, not by what we see, taste, touch, hear, or feel. Now, by way of illustrating this second definition, did you notice the definition being certain of what we do not see, the writer points way back into the past. He takes us to creation in verse 3. We weren't there when it happened, were we? But he says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The word here is rima. Have you heard that? Rima, referring to an utterance, a divine utterance. It is by faith that we believe that God simply had to speak and matter and energy came into being. What is more, God didn't do it with existing material. He made everything out of nothing. We only believe that by faith. Uh, No one one can tell us the truth or the untruth of the first ten words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is a statement, you see, that goes way further back than science can take us. Science can only examine the planet from the moment it appeared. Uh, Even when science arrives at the whole truth about the origin of the universe it will have to stop because science is utterly dependent upon information gained by the senses, uh, via the telescope or the microscope or the radio antenna or whatever. Science cannot go beyond what it can observe. It's something like uh, someone throwing a ball into this room and the ball would bounce across the floor and a scientist could tell me about its velocity and its trajectory and how many bounces and where it might end up but what he couldn't tell me is who threw the ball and where it came from because he didn't see it. No human being saw the creator at work speaking the universe into being. It is only by faith that we believe he did that. And that faith in God as creator still operates in the present, doesn't it? A faith, at least in part, is the spiritual seeing or perceiving of the fingerprints of God in the things he has made here and now. Do you perceive that? A few years ago, I was in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, and I saw a little wee metal plaque. It was a memorial to the architect of St. Paul's Cathedral, Sir Christopher Wren. And the plaque simply said, if you seek his monument... Look around you. The order, the design, the beauty, the greatness, the irreducible complexity, the immutable laws testify that God made the world. But 
So is the seeing of these fingerprints a kind of evidence? It's just the other side of the coin. Now, not everybody sees these fingerprints, of course. Some do and some don't. Do you remember those 3D images a few years ago? You looked at this 3D image, and some people would look at them and they'd see the head of Beethoven or they'd see a lamb or something, and some would just see colour and chaos. I was probably one of the colour and chaos ones. Uh, Looking at creation is a bit like that, isn't it? By faith, we perceive an unseen God behind creation. But faith, defined as being certain of what we do not see, applies to so many other things as well, doesn't it? For example, do you realize that we are in exactly the same position as Abraham with regard to the death and resurrection of Christ? We really are. He didn't see it. We didn't see it. But he was absolutely certain of it, just as we are. How do I know? Jesus told me, John 8 verse 56, Jesus said, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Jesus was referring to his death and resurrection. Abraham saw the death and resurrection of Christ 2,000 years before they happened. The salvation of the Messiah was revealed to him. Knowing about it and expecting it made him exceedingly glad. And now, 2,000 years after, we're in the same boat but a different time frame. He looked forward, we look back. Do you see? Those before and after the death and resurrection of Jesus have to share the same faith because neither witnessed these things. It's a matter of faith. Okay. Two definitions. Have you got them? Faith is a kind of spiritual tasting of what God has promised so that we feel a deep, substantial assurance of things hoped for, such as the better country. And faith is a kind of spiritual seeing of the invisible, such as the fingerprints of God in the things he has made. Are you sure of what you hope for? Are you certain of what you did not see and do not see? If so, you're a person of faith. Faith is so assured of the hoped-for blessings and so convinced of the unseen facts that it will actually venture out on them and stake everything on them and determine the whole life, whole of life on the basis of them. So stand firm, folks, in what you know and believe. Don't let anyone or anything talk you out of faith because, you see, faith is very pleasing to God. Did you notice that in verse 2? Verse 2 says, This is what the ancients were commended for. You want God's commendation? And here's ancient believers like Abraham, they all perceived as real what was not yet evident in the natural realm, otherwise they simply would not have done the things they did, and they were commended for it by God himself. You know, the same is true of every believer since, right down to the present. Every believer who has exercised faith God commends them. Modern believers are commended for their faith as well. Listen, folks, do you want to know who God accepts? Do you want to know who's in God's good books? Who God thinks highly of? Who has God's approval in their lives today? I'll tell you. It's those who believe in the present 
and say, I believe, rather than those who say, well, I'm just going to wait and see how it turns out. Those who say, I'm going to believe now, those are the ones God commends. God considers their faith extremely honourable and pleasing. So those are the opening verses of this great chapter. You're in for a treat as you move through it. Let me just sum it up. Hey, guys, bottom line, faith is actually a gift from God. It's not the quantity of faith, but the quality of faith that's important. Didn't Jesus say, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from there here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. He did say that, didn't he? A grain of mustard seed and a grain of dust are very similar in appearance, but the difference is immense. One has no life burning at the heart of it, while the other has life as God kindled it. Faith that has in it the principle of life is a faith with God in it. You can't work it up or manufacture it. It's a gift of God. And when God has given you the genuine article, you are indeed sure of what you hope for. And you are indeed certain of what you do not see. It cannot be otherwise if you have the genuine article. And that's why I guess people who have a strong faith can appear to the world to be a bit dogmatic because they're so sure, but they're not sure of themselves. They're sure of God. You see, faith rests on the character and the integrity of God. God is faith's foundation. Real faith is based on real truth. That's why our faith is so sure and certain. In the words of Whittier, the steps of faith fall on the seeming void and find the rock beneath. So overcoming weeks, you're going to be looking at numerous men and women who had such faith, uh, the Fano of faith, the Whakapapa of faith. Sixteen of them are mentioned, but the writer says down in verse 32 that he could tell us of many more if he had time. <laughs> uh, case after case, people who had nothing but God to rest upon, people who took God at his word and directed their lives accordingly, Uh, The very first verse of the next chapter, chapter 12, refers to them as a great cloud of witnesses. How many since that phrase was written? Well, it's estimated a thousand million at least. It should be very encouraging for us to realize that around us at the moment there are probably already a thousand million witnesses, people who have lived by faith in God. Through the centuries, these are the witnesses that should inspire us to do likewise. And you're going to be studying them, some of them, over coming weeks. And I predict that you're in for a great blessing as you do so. Let's pray. O God, I pray above all else for these uh, people here at Wainui Community Church that they will be people of faith. That despite all that assails it, their faith will remain unshakable and that their faith will carry them wherever you want them to go as individuals and as a community of faith. 
for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.